Listener Production. Hi, Katrina Blowers with you. In today's briefing, Rihanna and Annika are taking a look at the rental crisis across Australia. And this is not just in capital cities, it's in regional and rural areas as well. The vacancy rate nationally is functionally zero. You know, it's under 1% nationally. And in some places across the country, it's at like 0.1 or 0.2 of a cent. Yeah, so we're going to look at just how bad things are and more importantly, what can be done about it as we're now at that time of year when a lot of leases are coming to an end. That topic is in the second half of this podcast. But first, Antoinette Latouf is with me for today's headlines. It is Monday, December 12. Australia has made no progress this year in closing the gender pay gap between men and women. So figures from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency show the gap in average pay remains steady at 22.8% and that's unchanged from last year. Yeah, and we talk about the gender pay gap a lot, but in your pocket, this is why a lot of women get very angry about this. On average, mm. women are taking home $26,500 less than men every year. And five industries actually record pay gaps larger than 20%, with the highest difference in construction at 29%. And of course, this also impacts things like career trajectory. And only 22% of Australian CEOs are women. Katrina, I know this is something I think about a lot and mull over a lot and get frustrated a lot about. And this is actually the first time um, in the nine years that this data has been collected that uh, the gap has stalled and the obvious thing that's happened, it would seem, is COVID. So much around COVID and the discussion about COVID was how it impacted men and women differently in terms of who is most likely to stay at home and do the homeschooling. And it seems to have played out with these figures now being released. And not just that, I think people were having to have salary discussions over Zoom. And I know my contract came up for renewal during the pandemic and we were masked up, which was such a difficult conversation to have at the best of times. But when Mm. you're wearing a face mask and you can't read someone else's expression, and not surprisingly, that discussion did not go very well for me. But I am very heartened (laughs) by the uh, pay secrecy uh, overturn that, that just happened in Parliament, Anthony Albanese pushed that one through with a bill just only in the last few weeks. So that bans um, pay secrecy in workplaces. I know that I used to have in my contract that I couldn't discuss with my colleagues what my salary was. And we all, you know, used to gossip about it anyway. And we knew that there were some of our male colleagues that were on more than us. So I'm hoping that 2023 is going to be a better year for this on all fronts. I actually think that that data, I mean, that data that's been collected for the last nine years is really important. But I also think it needs to capture a few more intersections because we don't fully get a picture of inequality if we don't have things like the pay of culturally linguistically diverse females, First Nations females, those with mm. a disability, um, also age. Because once you look at those intersections, you get a, a much better idea um, of who is being disadvantaged in the workplace. And then, of course, only then can you have evidence-based policies to try and bridge that gap. 
The government's plan to reduce power bills is facing an uphill battle to get through, so Parliament's being recalled on Thursday to consider the plan to cap energy prices, which could save Aussie households $230 on their bills. But the Coalition has rejected the package, arguing that the move would deter future investments in the market and in the long term actually increase prices. It is a monster in the making because not only will it fail in the short term, but it is going to have a disastrous effect on the industry over the longer term. Shadow Minister for Energy Ted O'Brien there. So this means the government needs support from the crossbench, but they might not get it from the Greens. Here is the Greens leader, Adam Bant. When the government is prepared to talk to the Greens and adopt some of our suggestions and take them on board, we can get legislation through Parliament quickly. And that's the spirit that we're going uh, into this week with. So the Greens are opposing any plan to provide compensation to coal companies. They're also demanding more direct support for households, while Independent Senator David Pocock is waiting for more information about the government's plan. And, and we know Pauline Hanson is against it. Yeah. And meanwhile today, the Treasurer will announce a mandate for big companies to disclose climate risk reporting from next year. It's all in a bid to combat greenwashing, which is effectively marketing spin. According to News Corp, Jim Chalmers will warn a lack of transparency on sustainability measures has put a handbrake on the investments needed to move away from fossil fuels. I think we all know the weather's been a bit all over the shop at the moment and we're being warned Eastern Australia is in for another week of unsettled weather with storms and showers on the cards. This is all because a cold front is passing over the country southeast, which will cause temperatures to plummet by as much as 15 degrees. And Katrina, I don't know if you believe in the power of the jinx, but just yesterday my partner and I were talking about the lovely weather we'd been having in Sydney. And he said something along the lines of, <laughs> It's all your fault. Oh, whatever happened to that triple La Nina? And I was like, No, no, don't say anything. You're going to jinx it. And alas, <laughs> seems that he did indeed jinx it. Well, here we are because Melbourne's heading back to winter-like conditions with snow forecast for alpine regions. That's pretty crazy. Mm. Uh, if you're in WA, you are continuing to swelter through an extreme heat wave. So, yes, we are in a country of extremes at the moment. Former Liberal staffer Bruce Lerman has had chats with at least two networks for an exclusive interview. Any interview for TV would be his first public comment after ACT prosecutors dropped a charge against him over the alleged sexual assault of Brittany Higgins. It's understood those networks are Channel 9 and Channel 7. Nine sources have said they may not go ahead if he requests payment. It's not known if money has come up in his talks with Seven. Earlier this month, you'll remember the retrial was abandoned and the charges against Lerman were dropped because of serious concerns about Brittany Higgins' mental health. The former Liberal staffer is also reportedly considering legal action against other media outlets for defamation. And Katrina, this has just been oh, so frustrating to watch this um, trial play out and no doubt hugely impactful on both Brittany Higgins and Bruce Lerman. Yeah, obviously, it was, it was covered extensively off the back of the Me Too movement, um, but the groundswell and change that 
it was hoped that it would bring was kind of at odds with the legal process because, I mean, I call it what is the um, the she's lying manoeuvre. So in legal terms, that never changed. And that's the fact that the whole process is based on throwing into question the complainant's credibility and re- reliability, essentially to portray them as a liar. So no matter how that statute um, has been rewritten over the years, uh, it has been, it's the, it still remains the core feature of sexual assault trials, and that's barely changed, even though there was the viral hashtag moment, the media's appetite and interest has changed. What hasn't changed is the legal process, and I think that's what we really saw came to a head in this case. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people throwing around some possible solutions, which could be that we throw out the jury system, which I have always believed is fundamentally flawed, and just go to judge-only trials. So I hope that what comes out of this is an incredible reshake, and we need to look at exactly how we treat women who come forward, but also men and women who are accused of these crimes. And following a spectacular weekend, we now know who the FIFA World Cup semi-finalists are. Argentina will face Croatia on Wednesday and then Morocco and France will battle it out on Thursday. Morocco's journey has definitely been one for the history books. It is the first African nation to reach the World Cup semis following a 1-0 victory over Portugal, which saw Cristiano Ronaldo leaving in tears. Uh, France dashed England's hopes yesterday with an intense 2-1 win. While this year could end with a rematch of what happened in 2018 when France took down Croatia in the grand final. I have to confess, I have not been getting up early to watch these games. My kids have, um, people that I know have, and it's just awesome to see the partying in the streets, people getting up so early and Mm. partying through to this, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning. It's super lovely to see. Yeah, look, Katrina, you know me well enough to know that there's nothing more that I love than my sleep. So nothing will get me me up to watch sport. (laughs) All right, we're about to look at some possible solutions to the rental crisis with Rihanna and Annika. Hi, briefers. Rihanna and Annika here. Now, ask anybody who's trying to find a rental property at the moment and they'll tell you it's a bit of a nightmare. I had to move pretty urgently in October due to a leak at my last place and over a three-week period I went to around 75 different inspections. We were getting rejected for everything we applied for and we weren't sure why because we're a married couple with no kids and no pets. We both work full-time, I also run a business. We also noticed a lot of places being listed really cheap. I think to encourage people to bid, which is illegal for the real estate agents to do, but tenants don't really have a choice because there's not much available. That's briefing listener Bonnie and here's another of our listeners, Tom. I moved to Melbourne six weeks ago from Auckland. When I got here, the competitiveness of the market was just absolutely insane. Two friends and I were looking for a place for about four weeks. We would have viewed, I'd say, 20 to 25 properties between us, and we didn't really even get a look in. There was 30 to 40 people going for each place. In the end, we ended up taking over a lease sight unseen, so we didn't view the house because we really just needed to find somewhere, ideally not how we'd want to be choosing a a place to live. So 71% of renters are paying over a third of their household income 
to their landlord. And that's if you can find somewhere to live and you can afford it. Yeah, so what can be done about it? And is it going to get worse before it gets better? Emma Greenhalgh is the CEO of National Shelter, the peak body representing housing interests of low-income households. Emma, thanks for joining us. We've heard from some of our listeners just how bad it is to try and find a rental at the moment. Can you explain to us in terms of, I guess, other ebbs and flows we've seen in the market, just how bad it is at the moment? When you talk to people who are at the front line of the service system, uh, who are helping people who are at risk of homelessness, people that have been in the sector for a long time will say, oh, it's bad, it's a crisis. But for, for those who have been there for quite some time, are really saying that this is nothing like that they've seen before in terms of people coming forward for assistance, um, for housing, for Uh, because they're being evicted or because, you know, they're not able to find housing. So coupled with that, the other indicator is just the the fact that the vacancy rate nationally is functionally zero. You know, it's under 1% nationally. And in some places across the country, it's at 0.1 or 0.2 of a cent. So um, that's something that is really unusual because normally you might see that there's areas in Australia that might have a healthy vacancy rate where others, you know, have a have an unhealthy vacancy rate. But at the moment, it's across the board uh, with, with incredibly low vacancy rates. It seems to be a bit of a combination of, you know, a perfect storm of issues we've got here. Lack of housing stock, kids are now wanting to live at home with their parents longer because they can't find these places where the interest rate rises. COVID-19, people moving to areas, doing the lifestyle change. Is there one factor that really stands out that's making it worse than anything else or is it that perfect storm? It is the combination of factors, but I think really what sits at the the heart of it is the housing supply issue. So there's not enough housing generally. So if you've got migration to other areas where there's poor supply, then that will just compound the issue. I think the other part too, from a, a social and affordable housing, you know, point of view, we've had such underinvestment in social and affordable housing. Particularly, there's been a, a lack of Commonwealth policy for nine years that we haven't been able to keep up with the demand that's there. So, you know, households that probably would be in the, you know, eligible for social housing are having to rely on the private market, but some. Um, are not able to do so. So I think really it's a a supply issue that is compounding other things, you know, combined with a lack of investment in social and affordable housing. Emma, cities are proving very hard to find rental properties in, but what is the situation in regional and small towns? I mean, what are you hearing? So we released the Rental Affordability Index last week, which is a report that we release annually with um, SGS Economics and Planning. And what it demonstrated is that, you know, it's incredibly difficult in regional areas, in particularly Queensland, New South Wales, in Victoria, that, you know, small towns, regional areas, uh, housing affordability has declined significantly in those areas. If you, you're living in a capital city or a metropolitan area, you know, you might have some ability to, you know, move suburbs over or broadly stay 
potentially in a in an area to where you need to be. But you know, if you're in a regional or rural area, you've got very little choice, um, and you might have to really be moving away from family and friends and supports. Where are the state governments that are leading the charge on this? That are perhaps doing the best deal to be a renter. So Victoria a couple of years ago amended their tenancy legislation removing no grounds evictions um you know including pets i think there was also something about rent increases queensland has undertaken rental reform which uh did include the removal or, or made it difficult for no grounds evictions um it included pets and there was something else in there there's pressure, I mean, in New South Wales to amend rental uh, legislation. South Australia is currently reviewing theirs. So, you know, I think there's some green shoots um, in some different jurisdictions, uh, but I think really there's a lot more that could be done um, with tenancy reform. Uh, what we've been asking the Commonwealth Government, so last week when we released the Affordability Index um, and had meetings with various politicians, you know, our call was for the Commonwealth to use its leadership in housing to to bring the states and territories along to have some consistent tenancy legislation to reform it, put tenants much more at the heart of it and include things like the limiting the ability to increase rents uh, was one of it and the removal of no grounds evictions across all jurisdictions. Emma, your organisation advocates for those households of a lower income, and it's clearly been a tough time um, for, for those households in particular. But I mean, is this rental crisis now affecting other income levels? It is, absolutely. It's um, moving up the income scale that it is, you know, incredibly difficult if you're a single income earner, you know, with maybe a part-time working partner. Uh, we're also seeing double income households that are finding it difficult. And, you know, some of that is is a cost factor uh, in terms of how much rents have risen. But the other part too is just the, the accessibility component. And do we find that when people um, have competing things to pay for, where does rent come as a priority? Is it is that the final thing they'll cut? Will they cut, I guess, their grocery bill or going to the doctors and other things before uh, household costs? You'll generally find people will pay their housing first and then pay for other things, you know, after they've paid for their housing. And that's also the advice that comes from support services as well, because you may be able to get assistance for other things. For example, once you've paid, you know, for your housing, if you're having difficulties with food, some households then may have to be accessing food banks and other kinds of food relief or emergency relief that might have helped them with paying, you know, energy bills. Emma, you mentioned earlier that this is the worst that a lot of those like you who've been on this front line are seeing at the moment. But how much worse can it get? I mean, I mean, what could this look like, say, in another three to four months? Potentially worse. I think now that we're seeing, you know, the increases to migration, you know, whether we've got really the supply to be able to cope with that. We did see some figures that say that, you know, rentals have sort of eased off in in regional areas um, earlier this week. But I think now that we're looking at, you know, migration ramping up, you know, we're still 
having issues around housing supply. So in terms of those sort of materials and um, labour shortages. So it may get worse before, you know, it gets better. Internationally, I mean, where does Australia sit? You know, are other countries dealing with a similar situation at the moment or do they approach renting in a very different way? You know, you do find that there's other jurisdictions, um, you know, European jurisdictions where renting is much more normalised. It's a greater proportion of um, tenure. You know, it's approached in a way that um, you have long-term leases. So it's a whole different way of thinking around um, the role that renting plays in society as a housing response. I just really want to bring it back to, um, you know, for families who, well, and individuals who are finding it really difficult to access housing at the moment and maybe experiencing homelessness that, you know, previously that would have been something that might have been really short, you know, and sharp and one-off and seeing families that are, you know, sleeping in cars or caravan parks and showgrounds and that kind of thing. And it's not something that's happening in a, as, as a short-term, you know, sort of stop mechanism. It's it's something that's becoming quite a long um, housing response because people can't get the housing that they need. You know, it's always really important to be bringing this back to the families and individuals that are affected and, and what are some of the long-term implications of this housing crisis on those households. That's Emma Greenhalge, the CEO of National Shelter there. And Annika, obviously a lot happening that is impacting on this and a convergence of a lot of different things coming together. Yeah, which makes it more difficult to solve from a policy perspective, I guess, because there's no one thing that's really driving it. But look, I really feel for people that, you know, I've been in the market as a renter for many years. I'm not anymore. And the idea of bidding was always something that terrified me. Yeah, I'd never seen rent bidding until I had moved from Queensland to New South Wales. Uh, And that was over a decade ago now. And to know that it's getting to that point where someone can go up and say that they'll pay X amount over what the price of rent is, is just, I mean, really, there needs to be some legal restrictions around this, of course, surely. That's it for today's briefings. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Tomorrow, we're actually going to have a look at what's being called the Bali Bonk Ban. (laughs) Who will it affect? Will it affect tourists? (laughs) We'll get all the info tomorrow. Listener.